We're actually in a group chat. We have a group chat where we used to watch all of the Studio Ghibli together and we called it Weebs. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by Rihanna Walcott, Surviving Society alumni. So excited to have Rihanna in the studio and it's actually taken us a while to George's frustration to actually start recording because every time we see Rihanna, (laughs) every time we see Rihanna, there's so much to talk about because she's so brilliant, so amazing. Um, But Rihanna's here to talk to us about the new updated edition of The Colour of Madness, Mental Health and Race in Technicolour, the groundbreaking breaking collection edited by Rihanna and Samara Linton. Rihanna, if you don't know, get to know, but a few things. Rihanna is obviously a published author, a PhD student who is about to finish. Oh, but it's <laughs> most exciting news at the moment um, is that Rihanna has just secured a postdoctoral associate position at the Black Communications and Technology Lab at the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Maryland in the States. Oh my God. It's the East. And that's the East Coast. Coast. So Rihanna's leaving us. Like temporarily, this is, yeah. temporarily. <laughs> but this is this is uh, incredible news. Um, it would be worth, I think, listeners going back to the first episode we did with Rihanna because I think it's one of our surviving society greats. You know, my oh. stepdaughter Evs um, always quotes back to me things that Rihanna said and like mm. uses it in her essays. For example, the, her favorite one is. The enlightenment was not my enlightenment. Oh my god! <laughs> that's listens, so nice. She says it back to me. Like, <laughs> so, so I think uh, that episode is definitely in the Simon Society Hall of Fame, and I think it's also worth saying to listeners: Rihanna is the co-founder, and you still work mm-hmm. a lot on Project Myopia as well. Yeah. And we talk about um, Project Myopia with on this show, but also within our writing about sort of communicating scholarship, decolonizing the curriculum, etc. Is such a good example of like work that's been going on in the margins for a long time that sort of within and beyond the academy to try and make our work more inclusive of our voices and work that is that goes beyond the written word as well um you you agree i'm absolutely gassed i can't believe oh, it thank you so much oh, <laughs> me like, but do you know what's about do you know what's always mad about having people like rihanna on the show is that like you're presented as if you're shot to us saying that you're brilliant but compared to some people who come on they just sort of take it in their stride and like we need more spaces to big each other i think as a, as a black scholar i feel like when you say something it's not the, the massive accolades you look at it, if it resonates with your people right your yeah, audience yeah. and when something that resonates with your people mm. that's a massive accolade right mm-hmm. it's, it's big in there you get me thank you so much that's so kind. i mean i'm gonna fly through my work today now <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an updated edition mm. of this book. Why did it have to be an updated edition? Tell the Tell story. Drop the tea because that's drop, a madness. Drop, when I read that, no. I thought that drop the tea okay. if you can. Tell yes, me I this. Ca- I can and I will. Good. No defamation. George just said no defamation. <laughs> I don't know how to. Not just defam- illegal. Just okay. illegal tea. I mean, <laughs> so there are some articles that will be coming out about this that will be properly checked over by legal teams. Mm. So I will um, leave some of the gorier details to that. Shh. 
Yeah, because I think, yeah, I, I, yes. Yeah. So that, that will be coming soon. I did a follow-up interview. Mm. But um, just in sum, I'm going to use the word allegedly a lot, mm-hmm. but know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But um, <laughs> the first edition of Colour of Madness came out in 2018. And it was as a result of me giving a talk with creative Edinburgh, Mm. like part of the arts kind of council stuff. And I was giving a talk about being in the creative industry and thinking about mental health, essentially. I was the only black person on the panel. I was the only woman on the panel. It was an all white panel other than me. And I think that, um, you know, that really kind of opened the eyes of the audience. And also, like, it was one of my first... I hadn't been on very many panels at this point. It was very early in my, like, academic career. I was, like, 22, barely. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. You know, like, just finished my master's kind of thing, just about to start the PhD. And, um, you know, so being in that space and, like, realising that there was this massive disparity between my experiences in the creative industry and the other people there, there was someone in the audience who turned out to be our future publisher Um and um, she approached me afterwards asking us, uh, asking me if I'd be interested in, you know, putting together like an anthology about these kinds of experiences. And I was busy. So I was like, let me hook up my friend. Uh, Samara Linton at that point was a junior doctor. Or I think she was in her final year of med school, maybe. And um, was um, had already written a lot and done a lot of work around um mental health and communities of colour, lots of papers and things like that. I was, you know, passing this opportunity on and then ended up doing it myself kind of thing. So we put together this whole thing and I will say that she was a deep, like a very incompetent publisher. Like she was absolutely garbage at her job in my, <laughs> in my experience because like just the amount of stuff that Samara and I had to do is crazy. Like it's ridiculous. Wait, wait. So maybe that's intentional though, right? Well, this yeah. is the thing. Now looking back retrospectively, yeah. you kind of, but actually, do you know what? I'm not even going to give her that credit because I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> like I don't think she was smart enough for that. that no, honestly, that she was straight up incompetent. So thinking from the, you know, from the fact that we had to sort of crowdfund the funds for this book in the mm. first place, to the fact that I don't think it was properly proofread. We had to proofread it ourselves. We edited the whole thing ourselves, but we also did our own comms and marketing and publicity. So we were. So you published yeah, it, publish it yourself. We pu- it was self-publishing without any of the control. <laughs> so we, um, you know, we're pitching. To, to magazines like, excuse me, would it be okay if we wrote an article about our upcoming book? You know, garbage like that. Mm-hmm. Really nonsensical stuff. Why aren't we allowed to have nice stuff? Why can't we have why, nice why things? Why can't we have nice things? Why can't we have just <laughs> linear? So this is, but this is like why we had, so like the whole time we had this, um, you know, incredible reliance on BAME communities to like sort of even just get the word of the book out there. So, um, oh my God, even down to the fact that we um, <laughs> applied for a competition. I wrote a funding grant to uh, get the space for our book launch and then there were no books at it. <laughs> Fuck's sake. So she didn't provide any books for our own book launch, right? What She was always talking to us about money troubles and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, Samara and I, we, 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 we didn't know anything about like this world. We didn't have an agent. We didn't have someone to look over the contract. You know, we asked a friend who was in training to be a lawyer to look over the contract mm. and they were like, seems all right and that was you know made a few amendments and that was it but it wasn't like do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. we were not in a position where we were protected or looked after mm-hmm. and we realized this very early into the process that it wasn't going well and just had to like just firm it and keep going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um we just and i think also again this was all a product of being like sort of a young black woman 
just sort of going, this is part and parcel of the way that we've lived life. Yeah, mm-hmm. Being from the like, margins, right? Yeah, from the margins and thinking, yeah, this is how it is. And we didn't know anyone in the publishing industry or anyone else who had, you know, we just thought maybe this is what everyone's doing. Maybe this is how it goes. You know, we mm-hmm. thought something was off, but we had no opportunity, nothing to do but mm-hmm. go through it, right? And also we were still seeing like how needed and well-received it was in our community. We were working with um, loads of like mental health organisers. By the end of it, post-publication, we've worked with Nightline, we've worked with, um, you know, we've had people talk to us about using it, um, talking about policy. Mm-hmm. We've had it on mental health wards. We've had um, practitioners, it's on university curricula. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Definitely. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it did the thing that we wanted it yeah, to do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bes- despite... You know, you but we, to hustle. Yeah, to hustle. Yeah, and we didn't, yeah. we, you know, we would be asking her how many copies is it, you know, but why is it out of stock? How many copies are mm-hmm. there? What's going on? Like, you know, how much money is it making? Is everything mm-hmm. okay? And she just wouldn't respond. To get to the allegations and us getting stuff back. I remember seeing something about this publisher in the news and then thinking, hang Julie on a minute. Birchall, yeah. Hang but, on a minute. Is that... Is yeah. that Rihanna's publisher? Mm-hmm. No, I literally... And then I went on Twitter and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, so okay. we um, we knew a little bit before the news broke, but we had to keep it quiet because we for legal reasons. So we were trying to find a lawyer who would help us. Um, we were trying to talk to... Like, pl- these places ended up being incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to slight them in any way, but places like Society of Authors and Publishing Scott, you know, all mm-hmm. of these sorts of spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think because we couldn't, we were like sort of disclosing what had happened, what we'd found. But when it went viral in the way that it did with the Julie Birchall acquisition. Right, so what happened? What happened was... And who is Julie Birchall? Can we just put the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julie Birchall is just uh, some sort of right-wing white woman mm-hmm. who's like, you know, anti-free... You know, sort of pro-free speech and, you know, mm-hmm. wokeness is killing us and blah, 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 blah. Some mm-hmm. sort of turfy, awful mm-hmm. person, right? So um, she was signed to Sterling Publishing. And then um, there was like... Then it was sort of like, oh, look who Julie Birchall's been signed to. And that's when all this stuff was revealed. These allegations were revealed. <laughs> that the publisher... I'm just going to throw that the, in. Al- the allegations that the publisher around the publisher sympathised with the far right. Yes. So they were... The allegations <laughs> are that they um, were a member of the uh, far right proto-ethno-nationalist group which is actually the largest um, rising... Which one? Um, it's called Patriot... I always get confused whether it's Patriot Alert, Patriotic Alternative or Patriotic... I think it's Patriotic Alternative. That's okay. what it's called. And um, allegedly, our publisher was writing under a pseudonym, the pseudonym being Miss Britannia, um, that, uh, like, all of this... And we found some of this content. Like, there, were, there are materials published by Miss Britannia... Also a video. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> How many times do I have to say allegedly? Just so the listeners are clear, George obviously is always getting nervous about defamation, etc. And Rihanna's trying to tell this story. Even though the receipts are just receipts everywhere. are ridiculous. The receipts are everywhere. Right, right. Um, Allegedly. Um, so <laughs> Miss Britannia had published um, all of these articles that are very 
homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-black, queerphobic, anti-black. Everybody got it. Everybody yeah. got it. Anti-Semitic. <laughs> you know, really just let the trouble yeah, sing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. everybody was getting a piece. So um, this was revealed to us by um, a group called um, Glasgow Anti-Fascist or something like that. The Glasgow Anti-Fascist League or something. And they do deep dives and expose certain people, right? Anonymously. And um, they contacted us to ask if we could make a positive ID. No. Yes. And that was when this was all revealed to us. And this is the thing. So a WhatsApp group was infiltrated and they sent me a voice note. And Wait, wait, wait. wait. They sent you a voice note of Miss Britannia? Of Miss Britannia speaking. Oh, shit. Where she literally identifies herself. So I knew from the first three to four seconds because she's crying in this voice note mm -hmm. and i was like i know that white woman voice anywhere <laughs> i know those tears <laughs> so <laughs> i know those tears and um she's crying and she's sort of talking about um her oh my god so she she mentions um basically you'd be surprised because when you hear white woman tears usually they are used to sort of prove defend, their innocence yeah, defend themselves yeah, yeah. but this was being used to prove that she was enough of a hater to hang with the kids Fine. so it's her saying like because they knew they had a mole they knew they had an infiltrator and they were accusing her of being it this is like oh, no, but, this yeah. is like this is like i couldn't no, it was no. like some just, jerry springer right, shit i'm telling you, just you. Sat at home and all these receipts coming in you're like what is happening in my no, life what's like, quite interesting that's what happens when when you're in their kind of echo chambers and someone accuses them mm -hmm. of infiltrating a group and the person has to justify how racist they yes. are basically it's a madness to and watch. this is what i heard yeah. this is what happened and i was i had to listen to it like three times just to get my head around it because i was like is that really what I'm listening to here? Yeah. So anyway, I, this is why I feel like I shouldn't have to be saying allegedly because I'm going to tell you what the content of that story <laughs> is. So she starts out by saying like, oh, you know, they call me the, uh, what is it? Like they're like in publishing Scotland. I'm in the creative industry. Yeah, I have purple hair. So sue me. I'm a creative, you know, trying to justify mm -hmm. that why she looks like a liberal. Right. And right. then she says, my nose is big. Yes. But actually, it's the Duke of Wellington nose. I'm not Jewish. Um, my, you know, my nose is just big. Um, oh, my And days. she says, she talks about the JQ, which, as we know, is a big, uh, like, sort of dog whistle, <laughs> like the JQ, the Jewish question. Um, and then she's, you know, she's saying, basically, yes, at one point, I was, like, pro-Jewish because I was so anti-Islam. But now, but I haven't considered the JQ yet, and that's part of my journey you know, all into of this becoming, into becoming, becoming and fash. actually, I'm going to circle back to that in a second. But just to finish up what she was saying, she. I love this. I love this. No, I don't. So, so <laughs> I, I know this is your area. But this, so they're basically after that, she then um, actually, you know, she actually named us. So she says, like, she goes like, uh, so yeah, she's talking about how like homophobic she is and blah blah blah, because they're calling her out on certain social media posts she has that are not racist enough on her normie twitter right so that's why she's defending herself and saying like you know you lot don't know me but actually i'm i'm one of you at the end of it she says oh yes and uh yes i have a publishing company and i published a book the color of madness literally names the book so why am i uh, having to rana, do up allegedly rana that is <laughs> that must have been, that must have been stress this must be true. So this woman's voice note in the, the far right. And you know what I mean? Just far put in a, right. Put in, put in a, a 
target exactly. on you. On, exactly, exactly. No one's really talked about that yet. That How is, stressful that, that was. Yeah. So like terrifying. I am known. I am on the radar with a bloody far right, yeah. the biggest far right group in, <laughs> in the UK. They're like that. What? They're the looking at the, the new publication. Add the book to the, the list. list. You know what I mean? We're going to get to you in a minute. We'll get to you in Stay a minute. Stay there. We'll circle back. <laughs> Stay there. So, anyway, oh so then, then, so she says, and I wish I'd never done it because they're all Black Lives Matter. She didn't even say black, first of all. Black Lives Matter is what we are. And she says, I only did it because I have to make money. And I knew it would get on the Jalak Prize. I knew it would get on the da 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 long list stuff. Mm. And um, yeah, and she says she regretted ever doing it, basically. And so now when you bring up the, you know, the idea of sabotage, you have to sort of think about things like that, that mm. she's done it for money. But, she, you know, she was telling us she never made any money. Sorry, just bringing it back to love, care and solidarity here. <laughs> this is this is stress. It was very stressful. This is stress. It was. So who who were your who were your saviors? So um, and how did they get in contact? I also just before we yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah. But like also, I reckon this was actually quite a quick process of radicalization because people Why? always ask us, how could you not know? And this is something that we lockdown maybe. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And actually, well, more about this will be apparent in like sort of future media mm. but i believe that uh, and you know the yeah so like this is something that the um the the person who contacted me with this information the first sort of mm. sort of thought mm-hmm. he was tracking like sort of what she'd done online and the mm-hmm. output mm-hmm. and it did seem like this was a pretty quick turnaround yeah. like that she'd gone from being perhaps you know conservative mm-hmm. to being whoa like yeah, yeah, in yeah. A, over a very short period of time yeah so like i just like to sort of make that known because no, i think it's, it's it was important. after we fell out of contact with yeah. her no, but and, it's important because obviously it's important to sort of say your piece on it but also to recognize how quickly and how damaging these spaces online can be yeah yeah and how when you have things like a combination of kind of like anti-vax <laughs> blm yeah mad government far-right government rise of the far-right there's just so many different like things that Tinder yeah sparking kind of thing yeah 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 that led her from yeah. place to place to place well, what's interesting is about you talking about care and solidarity see for rihanna you're on you're publishing a book right so as we spoke about at the start you're in an industry you don't really know it right mm. so you're you're going from people that you don't really understand what their background is if they put if they put credentials in front of you who are you to say they're not you're good mm-hmm. or not so she's approached you and you need her so it, it seems yeah. like there's a synergy. Definitely. Mm. And, and especially so while we were young. Exactly. So you're mm. unprotected. And it's it's only with the kind of anti-fascist groups, which are quite extreme mm. in terms of where you're going to reach out for, that can look after you. But aside from that, who, in your day-to-day care, who's looking after you? And that puts, who's looking after us? And yeah. that puts mm. stress on your mental well-being. So, I mean, it's segway, so... Segway, segway, segway. Come on, Gorgeous, gorgeous. But the, so, like, the thing that I'm thinking. So, th- as for who was looking after us, we really did have just the number of people who came out of the woodworks when oh. this all went down. Like, honestly, just shielded us from the thing so well. We didn't actually, you know, I've talked about the concern that we had, mm. you know, being on this sort of radar, being within this community, you know, worried that now Samara and I are possibly targets. We actually mm. haven't felt any of that. 
yet, which is great. I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, touch wood. Obviously, the book's just come out. I do talk about it in the book briefly. But, you know, it's all it's, it's all been great. And, like, you know, we had Society of Authors. We had um, Publishing Scotland. They struck her off really quickly and everything. Um, yeah, man. So, like, all of this stuff has happened that has been so helpful. You know, we had um, the people from the Jalak Prize, um, Professor Sunny Singh mm-hmm. and also Nikesh, um, Nikesh Shukla, yeah. reached out to yeah. us and you know uh, like just all of this stuff that the, the media interest around the time of it happening is what led to us getting a a, a new p- publisher kind mm-hmm. of thing you know we got an agent real quick well I borrowed Samara's agent because she went on to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to go write other books after this anyway so she's good but you know it's just all of this stuff happened that was just would never have worked if it wasn't for the community sort of coalescing around mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. and that is the only reason that because the thing about it is this story it's farcical isn't it like it's so silly um, the, it's just silly like I tell it and I'm like yeah I can't believe this happened to me it feels like something that mm. should happen to someone else it's just nonsensical mm. um, and that farce is kind of what shielded me from thinking about it too tough Yeah. and also because I was in the middle of my PhD I was worried about having to do this book mm. twice in the same PhD yeah, yeah, yeah. you know but I've been really looked after and I'm also really glad that the publishers can... looked after yeah. us as well like the experience that we had doing it the first time of putting all that hard graft in now we've got people who are sharing the load someone else proofread it yeah. someone else has been doing the comms and the marketing stuff mm-hmm. we just have to show up you know and because of that this book is so much more like it has obviously so much of the first book within it yes most of our contributors have remained but we've mm-hmm. also had them be able to edit their pieces again mm-hmm. in a way that is up to a higher standard than we had the capacity mm-hmm. for last time they've been able to add postscripts we've been able to include new contributors mm-hmm. I think there's something like 14 new contributors it's or so something. much content it's, in it's here huge. it's huge yeah. like, it's like what you say in the forward it's like a refinement right it's a yeah. refinement it's, it's, it's sharper mm-hmm. it is in exactly your book spit into kind of colors right mm-hmm. into sections so my favorite colors tend to be blue and indica. I kind of gravitate oh, you towards like that. that. Yeah, yeah, great. So they're the, they're the heavier. Ch- <laughs> I know. I was yeah. gonna say, I was gonna say, I'm ones. not. So I, when I when I saw it, I was like, T is gonna go to blue <laughs> and indigo. I knew it. Yeah, I don't know why. I just 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 instinctively, I went to yeah. blue and indigo. And reading it. And it, it resonates, man. Mm-hmm. Like some of it well, res- as an academic, yeah. you know, blue being about institutions and yeah. about, you know, blue is the one that deals with um, sort of like people, like blue collar jobs, <laughs> <laughs> thinking about the home office, thinking about the experience of being patient versus practitioner, about being within um, like systems like the university, the hospital system, the government system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that one makes sense um, for a lot of people within our position mm-hmm. to gravitate towards. And then Indigo, I called Indigo Indigo because of like an old jazz song, Mood Indigo. You <laughs> ain't been blue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't remember I did an introduction. Like, Rihanna's a musician, an oh. incredible singer. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, Thanks. amazing. I always okay. tack that onto my bio. <laughs> yeah, like, you important. know, just like, oh, and sometimes I'm a jazz singer. No, you're brilliant, <laughs> incredible voice. Thanks, folks. But like, Mood Indigo, like it being like the deepest form of depression, like thinking about depression is not just like about being blue, about being indigo. Because it's very kind of well written. It's sharp, right? So when I read it at these guys, and I'm thinking, what? I did that. That's what happened to me. Like when the man said he doesn't sleep. I, I don't, don't think sleep. there's a black person in my life that I know that isn't like a partial or overall insomniac. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like a vampire. I would, I would, I'll go to bed and wake up at one o'clock and just sit there mm-hmm. and go to bed about what five. Like... I've been that for years though, but when in the book she kind of charts the times when, when it started and I'm thinking, you're right, like in school. That's yeah. I remember one day at school, I remember I, I just don't sleep. And it runs throughout. Now, when I look back now, there's, there's a lot of years to look back now. Boom. So when I look at my 20s now, I think it's in my 20s, 
Well, man never slept. Uh-huh. 30s got better and my 40s again, it's, it's changing. But in general, I don't sleep. I did not know you were in your 40s. Man's 44. What? Official. Official. Really? Wow. Rihanna, this is an intergenerational uh, yeah. podcast. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> you just kept going through the desert. <laughs> 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 I love that. I love saying you. I love saying you're right. It's like a little party trip. Yeah, man. Man's been through the thing, but wow. So when I was reading that, like you can you can resonate that thinking. I was reading the one, the chapter where she's talking about the kind of the dosage. I think it's a hundred milligrams. Oh yeah. And I think that's one of our new pieces. And I'm thinking, bro, man can resonate. Like you need this thing to feel okay. But then you don't think it. Then you think, am I relying it too much? And I'm thinking, yeah. Like you can see, and the stigma you have of thinking, should I take this thing? Because it reminds me, there's actually a little poem in here that I like. I literally just plays. In fact, it. I don't even have yeah. to find it. No, it's like three lines. Yeah, I think, I know, I can't even remember it. It's, um, it's like, Citalopram, my old friend, I can depend on you till the bitter end. And that's literally the whole poem. And mm. it was just like, I only started taking antidepressants at the start of my PhD as well, when I, you know, round the, and I just remember thinking like, that is. It's like so short and sweet, but like the meaning that that has. I think that one of the things that I thought about the first edition and now this edition is that it is like a a community love letter to say it's okay, like not to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like as much as I don't want that to, I really want that to be um, felt in a way that is purposeful and loving and not cliche, but that's what I I really do believe because I think that, I think it's really easy for us to say that we're not great at talking about mental health and within our like mm. global black diaspora within black asian minority ethnic groups in general but it is something within my own lived experience that i've definitely come across a lot um amongst family members and friends like this our kind of inability to talk about these things but at the same time like i've got white family that uh, happened to, that are working class mm. and they have i'm not sorry i'm not trying to make a false equivalence here but I'm, what i'm saying is sometimes I don't want there to be like a, a massive stigma amongst us not being good at talking about stuff and like mm. rehashing that thing because actually like there's those white people that aren't good at talking about mm. mental health as well but equally there is something it's rela- the intersection of class it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah intersection yeah. of class it's actually it's, making me remember that when well, I came home from uni and like <laughs> when I first started on Sidalapram and like in a very cliche way mm-hmm. you know finding the meds in the bin kind of thing mm. <laughs> my uh, mum my said to me like She's like way better at thinking about mental health now, mm. but this was some years ago. My mom said to me, you've gone away to uni, you've come back with a white middle class illness. <gasps> and, I, <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, that's yeah, really yeah, stuck yeah. with me because that is how people with, in our community are yeah. thinking about it. Like they're thinking that getting therapy, going on medication, doing all these things that are about mental wellness are not for us. We deal with bigger, more real things See, like racism. That's, so what, that's, to... what, that's what I wanted to say. You've said it much more succinctly than I could, but that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, but but like... there's a thing with being, with, with blackness, it's associated with mental toughness, right? Mm-hmm. And but Strong black women and, and we all that. Repro- and we, we reproduce, reproduce that. We do, yes. we do reproduce that, but equally, there is something to be said about that. There is a, t- yeah. a type of mental toughness you develop, right? Because this stuff, like to kind of... To bring in Zion's book, it's something that you bring in every day. You choose not Disaf- to fix. Oh, we love, yeah, you we love fi- Zion. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. love Zion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sick, sick, sick. <laughs> sick. 
yeah, she, 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 she knows about comics, man. I was like, oh. yeah. and manga and no, anime. He texted. She texted me actually after that, being like, "He loves comics too." I also am an anime nerd. I don't know if you knew this. Yeah, I didn't know. You didn't like, know this. When I, I asked about Jujutsu Kaisen, I was like, "Oh my god, we saw it together in the movie." She told we, me. We I was like, "Cinema together." Jujutsu oh, you Kaisen. guys, you guys, geeks. <laughs> <Yay. laughs> We're actually in a group chat. We have a group chat where we used to watch all of the Studio Ghibli together, and we called it Weebs. Okay. Like what Tisa was just saying, there is something to say about how we socially reproduce and relationally reproduce amongst each other. That kind of that kind of resilience, mm. that kind of thick skin. And so often, I feel like I'm even saying this on a weekly basis at the moment, I just want to be vulnerable, like yeah. mentally vulnerable. Like, and I just don't think there's any space. There's just no space. You know there's physical is. space, no mental space, we just be vulnerable. There's, there's a kind of a, a temporal and a spatial element to this, right? So temporally, like, coming from my generation like dealing with when i speak to my friends of my, my peer group about mental issues they struggle mm. like see how you how, see how you speak about it. see like when i first met and the way you speak i think you're raw it's a gen- it's definitely like you know it's a generational thing but it's yeah. also like the ability that we have to have conversations like this like one yeah. of the things that samara and i hated about the book coming out not hated but it's like it's a privilege and it's also a double-edged sword. Like the fact that this the conversation always mm. revolves around firstism. You know, mm. there was a lot of like this is the first of its kind. This is the first time we've started talking yeah. about things like this, and I don't necessarily think that's true because I think that we have our own language to talk about these things. Mm. Yeah. We talk about them in different spaces. We talk about them in different ways. There's obviously such a gendered component yeah. to people being able to talk about things. But I've been recently able to start having much more meaningful conversations about mental health and race with my dad. Okay, you know, I'm kind of thinking, so at this moment in time, I'm working on getting an, well, thinking about and working on getting an ADHD diagnosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, fairly confident mm-hmm. at this point that that's what it is and mm-hmm. thinking about that as well and thinking about that with relationship to my dad as mm. well and sort of noticing the things that perhaps as a black man when he was younger might have just been put down to misbehavior and you know mm-hmm. I, you know that kind of stuff and like sort of thinking about all of the ways that we've been betrayed as a community mm. by you know white supremacy but also um, the little harmful betrayals we make of each other as well and you know the ways that those are gendered in that you know black men not being able to talk about their feelings and the ways that we've also countered them by making spaces where we can talk about our health and well-being in spiritual spaces you know people talking about it if they're not talking about it somewhere they may be talking about it in their churches they're talking about it in the beauty shop they're talking about it with their barbers you know Mm. and there's all of these sorts of things where um, I I saw there was like an initiative as well um, where barbers were being given uh, mental health first aid training you know because there's an understanding that to talk to communities sometimes you have to do it you have to meet them in the place and meet them with the language that they're accustomed to which is why it's so valuable to have doctors of color and why it's so valuable to have mental health practitioners from our own communities and so on so that we can have these conversations but it's like reading in your book there's an emphasis on western medicine is that the 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 hospital or the or the science is the place where you heal mm-hmm. where in most kind of Eastern philosophies, there's a more holistic approach Definitely. where you find, <clears throat> I guess, like you said, we talk about barbershops, talk about the church, talk about the home. All these things are, they're not hierarchical, they're horizontally linked, mm-hmm. right? And I guess this is, 
to get back to the kind of philosophy, it's the kind of the anti-enlightenment of it all, right? The enlightenment, it kind of wants to kind of place things in order, mm-hmm. like there's a logical order, like there's a kind of a natural order of things and the hierarchy of things being science is at the top, rationality is at the top and everything else falls below. If you look at it philosophically, there's a kind of split between Hume and Rousseau. So Hume emphasizes the kind of rationality, Rousseau emphasizes the emotion, but they're both linked and this has always been the problem. Well, the way that we actually have been describing this as well mm. is thinking about it like through the lens of black feminism mm-hmm. and thinking about communities and care and like, um, you know, the kind of praxis of a community led approaches to mental health that we are putting all of these people in the same way to use their own language to talk about what they're feeling about in the spaces that they feel comfortable and in the ways that they feel comfortable so like a large part of that is literally just having that project of deep love Mm -hmm. be what guides the whole thing and what guides people's you know again like yes in in some way um you know a reaction a rejection of that um you know that enlightenment process Mm. of ordering you know of allowing people to um speak to their own experiences in a way that doesn't necessarily have to prioritize western medicines and understandings you know we've got people thinking about multiple ways of managing themselves you know like there's just so much research on like how even like different communities communities of color respond to different medications and things like that like not not respond to like physiologically i mean like when you look at a pill and the way that the pill is designed and looks some i I heard a god i wish i could cite him but i've forgotten his name was years ago now but on a panel he was talking about how um the 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 way that a pill actually appears will actually mean something, might mean something different culturally. Some people want them to be bigger because then it looks more like, oh, there's more stuff in it. It's going to really fix me. Some people want it to be That's smaller so and less obtrusive, you know, and there's like cultural components to that but as well. You see that reflective in kind of recreational drug culture, like how black people work. Oh, yeah. Work nothing pills, injected, but nothing they, but pills. But they smoke but weed because it, it seems natural, the, yeah, from, from the, the earth. earth and, and it links to kind of Rastafarianism. Drugs aren't a black yeah, thing yeah. and all sorts of things like that. Nothing man-made. <laughs> yeah, there's so many, exactly, exactly that. So it's like, you know, like people's attitudes to healthcare are such a, a webbed thing. Like it's so much more complicated than just the thing itself mm-hmm. that like we have to speak to all of our sort of cultural competencies and all of the... You know, like we're just talking about blackness because that's what re- relates to us. Mm. But like it, it varies so much from culture to culture. And then we're brought together in this predominantly white country with predominantly white institutions that are not necessarily taking into account. You know, especially like even when you think about therapy and things like that. Mm. Um, I, I do refer back to this a lot, but um, I was thinking about the ways that family structures and you know, like the fact that we have such matriarchal family structures mm-hmm. in black communities in particular versus like a perhaps much more patriarchal European family structure and the ways that like things that to us seem perfectly normal and natural, you know, if you're thinking about the way, like if you're thinking about going through psychotherapy and therapy and things like that and they have this, like whose idea of what normal looks like or what we should be striving to feel and be like is being taken into account what kinds of cultural competencies are required mm. to reach that normal so stuff like i um i remember there was someone who said like they were going to therapy and um their therapist was like oh that sounds like codependence like you know in terms of like their family structure and they were like no i'm just iranian 
like yeah. that's just how, how it is, it, it is. Yeah. like mm. and you know like who decides what is yeah. right and wrong and so on mm. and it mm. often depends on the context that you're receiving that therapy in so mm. yeah this is kind of just like i think as a book as a project this is about allowing us to decide what is normal and mm. allowing us to speak without the lens of whiteness being overlaid on it if whiteness appears it's incidental yeah it's not the f- the core it's not you know like mm-hmm. we, we are focusing on ourselves and first and foremost I do think as well it's such a timely um, updated edition of The Colour of Madness because I do feel like... Post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, whatever. (laughs) We are in a crisis. We're seeing Mm -hmm. the white lash, Mm -hmm. cost of living, like things being rolled back. Like it's... And you can see, like I can see it like in... Our brothers and sisters, I can see it. Mm-hmm. Like the pain, the pain that was already there before even the pandemic. The pain has got deeper, and we need more spaces, as you said, spaces of care, of love, and solidarity, where we can just be and to talk about how we feel. Um, the conversation I, has moved so much in the last few yeah. years. But I think what the pandemic did, and since then, you can see the true nature of the society, right? Mm-hmm. The true nature of in late industrial capitalism, mm-hmm. and how it's been that for a long time. But they in, hate us. But in seeing that, but us. in seeing that, in seeing that, you can see our true position, right? Yeah. And all marginalized communities can see their true position in this structure. Well, we hope. We, we hope, hope. We hope. We hope. There's always going to be collaborators, right? Mm. We can always going to be collaborators. But for the majority of people, you understand where you are, and you realize how far have we really got? Mm-hmm. That's the question you start mm-hmm. asking yourself. So when you look at the books from from mental health to policing, you think how far have we actually got? Because from where we where we're, from our vantage point. Things haven't moved that far, right? Mm. But I do feel like work like this that Samara and Rihanna have done does form an, a crucial part of, like we always talk about on this show, like the broad coalitions of people that are doing yeah. li- doing little bits within the movement for freedom to try and, yeah, and get us this, like what, whatever a true emancipation looks like, whatever, whatever, yeah, the freedom looks like, this is part of it. And understanding of the self that is... That, is in relation to our mental health, mental illness, but mm. also our black sense of self as well. Like, I think that this is such an important component. Like, obviously, like, we need people on the front line, on the pickets, mm. whatever, but we really, we're not, if we get free and we haven't sort of addressed our mental health, mm. then we're just going to carry on doing harm to each other as but we always do anyway. This is what I was trying to say earlier, like, because there's a temporal aspect. When I'm speaking to my friends about this, so we're all in our 40s and talking about what's happened. And because you haven't been allowed to to feel sad or mm. upset because in your in your kind of peer group you can't be that way you can't be that way because you're spending most of your time I don't really want to kind of like that time to kind of reify the street but that's where you're going to spend most of your time in that in that environment if you're from my from our background so you can't be that way and mm. but by the time you we've had a career most of my friends have had you've got kids they're in their teenagers you're almost almost fifty you live half your life. So now you'll start looking back and thinking, oh, what's happened to me, man? Mm. And you can sometimes, you can see in some people the oldest how their, their psyche's fractured and they don't have the conceptual tools to understand what's gone on to them. Fanon tried to say is if, if, if we are not understanding the violence of whiteness on the psyche, then it's going to continue. But it's mad. And, so, and that's where, so, like when it, I was, sorry. our everyday life, yeah. yeah. So when I was reading your book, uh, like when, because most academic books are written in a kind of very 
high fluting under- so if I, I can give that to my pals you get me and they mm. could understand because that's it's written by wanted. people you get me it's written yeah. by people it's a very neurodiverse friendly book this is I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> it. oh my god I'm so glad yeah, you said yeah. that because um, especially me now thinking about my own neurodivergence mm-hmm. and how it impacts the way that I work mm-hmm. and write and I'm able to sort of work and write I just wanted it to be something that you know, because it's split up in the way that it is, I'm thinking about our communities and I'm thinking about older communities and particularly, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my own family. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about people who don't read much, mm-hmm. um, you know, or don't have the time to read or the inclination or whatever. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. how can I make, if I could have put song and, you know, and video in this book, I would have. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's exactly that kind of thing. We want to get an audio book sorted if, as soon as we can oh, figure out the right, you know, it needs to be accessible to Definitely. our communities by, for and about us. Well, this is, this is I think, this is one of the kind of problems academia it reifies the written word oh my as it partly being above everything else but I'm actually working on this I do I get to say nah I won't say it yet <laughs> you have to invite me for another podcast oh, of course <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to okay actually I'll say it in a small way so um, I have been this year I've been UCL writing lab scholar in of residence of so oh, didn't even have that. Look, there's, so, there's so many accolades. I, I, look, I forget them until Rihanna, it's time. Get to know. They'll be in the. They'll be in the promotional. The promotional like it, it became relevant. I wouldn't yeah. have talked about it otherwise. Yeah, but the reason on. why I'm interested, I wanted to mention that is because one of the things we've been thinking about is you know neurodivergence, the fact that everything is writing, thinking about labour indexes within you know universities, and the fact that predominantly labour of making the institution a livable space always mm-hmm. falls to the most marginalised members. But like, yeah, the thing I'm interested in there is the, um, we had an event mm-hmm. with Cheska, Dr. Francesca mm-hmm. Saband, um, about, um, you know, neurodivergence and writing called Everything is Writing. And it's a chapter I'm working on for book I'm hopefully gonna I'll just yeah okay I said it whatever (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully so that's that's that's, that's what I want to do and you know this is one of the things I want to be able to write about the fact that for me writing my PhD for instance the only way I've been able to produce words at this point has been by making massive powerpoints with all the quotes and things that I want in it dictating text of writing and then editing it up and dragon was, you got dragon no i haven't oh, but i didn't have dragon. time to train it up well enough uh, but okay, i did yeah, it yeah, using yeah. otter i use otter AI. okay great yeah, yeah so this was you know i did that and it allowed me to produce something like 50 60 000 words in a month and before that i had twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so like this is the kind of thing that has seen me through this phd at this mm-hmm. point in the traditional academic world like if no one was telling me that these are ways that we can get around these sorts of things. So this is what The Colour of Madness is to me. It it's is. got poetry. It's got, you know, short poems, that haikus and stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah, but it's got yeah. pictures. It's got, you know, it's artist beautiful. notes. It's all that sort of thing that isn't just, you know, weighty pieces. And the fact that it's split into those sections, you know, I'm so glad that you said that, you know, you love the blue section and the indigo section mm. because that's how it's meant to be read. It's meant to be that you go into the, you know, the, the, every bit has a little epigraph at the beginning. The intro explains what mm-hmm. the chapters mean. And maybe you reach out to it when you need it mm-hmm. and you go to the bit that you want and need and find what. You know, this time now, we finally have an index. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's stuff, it's, it's supposed to be reader friendly. So, Academia doesn't do that. But it tends to be very prescriptive, right? Mm-hmm. So like from the from the time you go to school, you start, you start at the start of the book and you move through a book. Mm-hmm. And we all know once you start reading certain academic books, the good bits are maybe like 500 pages in. Mm-hmm. So, and you're like, well, why do I have to read the, the first? And you say, God but bless an like index. That, you can take things out, you can read it, and you can choose by your mood, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's your mood. Sometimes I can pick up a book and they say, you have to read it. 
I'm falling asleep, bro. Mm. I've read that book. I'm falling asleep. It's not something that needs to be read cover mm. to cover yeah. in a specific order. Yeah. And that is supposed to be, you know, an act mm-hmm. of making it more accessible to our own communities as well. Because not everyone has the time to Ex- sit and read cover to cover. What's important, though, as an editor, you have the choice, right? You're, mm-hmm. So most people are choosing to put these books, making the books these this way. You don't have to. There's mm-hmm. a choice. And this is one of the things I said about my PhD. I like... Why do I have to do it this way? It's supposed mm-hmm. to be my research, mm. but you're telling me, even though it's my oh thing, my I have to present it in a particular way to get this stamp. And yeah. once I get this stamp, then I can do it. I have it been no saying, sense. if I could do my PhD as a series of podcasts, like maybe yeah. four or five podcasts, I would be done already. And it would be better. It'd be more mm. accessible. You could subtitle it. You could hand it out. And, and Rihanna, so Rihanna, much- Rihanna, even if that was going to happen, I mean, you can obviously have practice-based PhDs now, but you know, because of yeah, Blacky no Black, respect Blacky it. Black, <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing it that way. No you're way. not doing it that way. You're the white, that's for the white There's people. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way in hell. Imagine getting a job creative, after that. Come scholarship that gets signed off by the institution I think, but the thing uh, yeah, I think so, but definitely but it's mad though you could, but did you, you forget you're black you, oh, that's, sorry that's from Julia Toppin I, that's uh, my favourite quote from her did like, you forget, did you're, you forget black. you're black black <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> why not <laughs> oh my god okay I don't know if you're going to have to scrub this out but the best quote the best term that has come up in my period my PhD someone described a platform They were, I was like what's your favourite platform they said I think Twitter is the most <laughs> and I thought oh what kind of term is that is that not the best term keep it keep Twitter it. is the most Gadocious platform. Rihanna Jade Parker. That's that's all you. That is, that's all you. Oh, that is the best legend. quote I've that ever. Is, that is a very very. It's going. Very in, I've put quote. it in my. I've put it in my abstract. Yes, that's <laughs> I love that. It's in, it's in the bloody epigram. Ah, right, Rihanna. That was absolutely incredible. I'm sick. Like you got to well, come on to end it. it. Well, you're coming on again. You're coming on again. You have to. You absolutely have yeah, just to. Just hit me up once every other year, Definitely. and I'll be like, "So now I'm doing this." <laughs> yeah, exactly. We love it. We love it. We really, really do. Um, listeners will be back again next week. And thank you so much again, Rihanna. Thank you. Congratulations thank you. to you and Samara on the book. Thank you. Available in all good bookstores now. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 